Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome today to our Wednesday message. I'm Pastor Ken Bear of Faith Dialogue here in Celebration, Florida. And on Wednesdays, we're in our series called Pondering Prophecy. Uh, the question we're going to address today is what happens next? What happens next? Well, it's a question that many people are asking. Um, when we address unfulfilled prophecy in the Bible and the end times, one of the first questions that people have is, okay, but what happens next? And that's a great question. And you know, it's really an important question as well. We are definitely in the end times. Actually, we could say uh, categorically that we are in the beginning of the end of the end times. What both Jesus and the Apostle Paul refer to as birth pangs, or in our more modern, more modern vocabulary, we would call it labor pains. The greatest sign the greatest sign that we're in the end times is and was the fulfillment of Bible prophecy that the people of Israel would return to their land. That was miraculously and literally fulfilled in 1948 when the nation of Israel was restored. And then we saw it also in 1967 when Israel took control all of, all of, all of Jerusalem. And then also we even acknowledge that the United States recognized Israel or Jerusalem as the capital of Israel by moving its, its embassy from Tel Aviv to, to Jerusalem uh, just this, this past year. Jerusalem was and always will be the capital of Israel and the future home of Jesus upon his return. So we can look at the, the very best sources about the end times and the events that have been prophesied and are foretold to happen in the near future. And that source, that source of information, the number one source is, is the Bible. It, it's the, and the one book in the Bible, if you're going to go to any book to see what happens in the end times, we're going to go to the last book of the New Testament, which is the book of Revelation. Now the actual t title of the book of Revelation is the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's also the Revelation, singular, not Revelations, as the book of Revelation is one prophecy from the beginning to the end. Unlike uh, the Old Testament prophets of Daniel, Ezekiel, Hosea, um, um, Isaiah, and even the Psalms, it's not a number of prophecies, sometimes completely out of sequence or out of chronological order. It's one prophecy from beginning to end. Uh, the book of Revelation is, is also unique and that it's one of the only Bibles that has its own outline. It, it's true. In, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, you can turn to it sometime, it says this. It says, Jesus is actually uh, has John, the Apostle John, on the island of Patmos. And there's this revelation of Jesus Christ to John, and John records it very faithfully. And in John 1.19, it says this, it says, Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things that must take place after these things. 
So that's the outline that John has to write. He, he writes first of the things which he has seen, which is the vision of, of Jesus. That's in chapter 1 and beginning of chapter 2. The vision of Jesus Christ in heaven. Then he writes the things which are. Well, for the Apostle John, which were the things that are? Well, it's the seven churches. The churches of Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. These are the churches that existed at the time of John. And also, these churches taken together, these seven churches, paint a panoramic picture of the church age for the past 2,000 years. And then the third part of the outline, John is told to write the things that must take place after these things. Well, what things? The things that are referred to as the end times, the tribulation. That's the third part of this outline. And that's to take place after the things that are, the age of the church. So the final seven years, the tribulation follows what we know as, as the church age. And this final seven years is also called the time of Jacob's trial and Daniel's 70th week. So again, our topic today is, is what happens next. Knowing what happens next can actually be pretty difficult. Because at any given time, if you're just a, a person listening to news and, and trolling the internet and looking at YouTube videos, or maybe even hearing in your church, at any given time, you're going to hear people say things like this. The sign in Revelation 12 of the, of the woman clothed with the sun and the moon just happened. It's an astronomical sign, and we see the constellations Virgo and Leo, the sun, moon, and planets like Mercury and Venus all coming into alignment. Well, that sounds pretty spectacular, but that was actually widely reported back in September of 2017 that this sign happening in Revelation 12 had happened. Or, or maybe you've heard uh, of other things like that. Well, have you heard the term fake news? Well, again, this was widely reported, but it was, it was false. It was, it was not true. These alignments of the constellations, these astronomical signs, wasn't the fulfillment of what was prophesied in, in Revelation 12. Another uh, popular sign, another thing that you'll hear often, is anytime the Pope, uh, the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church, says something significant. As many people equate the Pope with one of the seven kings seen in Revelation 12, or the woman on the beast in Revelation 17. I could go on as there is a great amount of symbolism in, in prophecy. And it's relatively simple to equate the symbolism to any current event. You can pick and choose from a number of different symbols. that You can pick any place, any nation, or any particular person and say that's the symbol that's found in the book of Revelation. Now here's the thing. It's, it's relatively simple, uh, but it's also completely incorrect. As I said, the book of Revelation is one singular prophecy from beginning to end. It's a prophecy, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and the most appropriate way to look at the book of Revelation is, including all the events and symbols, is that they're going to happen pretty much sequentially. For example, the book of Revelation speaks of seven seals. And following the seven seals are seven trumpets followed by seven vials or seven bowls. And the best approach to take, and it's an approach that I take, 
is to take them as relatively sequentially. Uh, now some people take the first seven seals as kind of panoramic over the whole things happening at the same time, uh, which is, it's not a bad approach, but it's not the approach that I, that I advise. In any case, we should never take something that happens in, in Revelation 13, for example, and say that that precedes something that happens in Revelation 6 or Revelation 7. It should happen relatively sequentially. So let's talk about the book of Revelation. The culmination of this book of Revelation, which we said is the very best source of what's happening next, is the culmination is the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will come and return to the earth. He'll, he'll come just as he left. He'll come in the clouds and he'll reign for, for 1,000 years. Now, there are many more prophetic verses in the Bible that point to the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's almost five or six times as many verses speaking of the return of Jesus Christ as his first coming. The week that Jesus was going to be crucified, for example, what we call Holy Week, Jesus told the disciples, the twelve apostles, that the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed and that there would not be one stone left upon another. So the disciples came to him privately and they said, tell us, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's out of Matthew chapter 24 verse 3. Now the disciples were particularly interested in what Jesus had just said, that the temple would be destroyed. And that's why they said, when will this happen? But they also asked two other questions. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of this age? It appears that the disciples uh, combine this cataclysmic event of the destruction of the temple with the coming of Jesus Christ. And I can tell you that I have studied um, and compared what Jesus says as a response to this question um, to many other Bible verses and I've listened to a number of other Bible scholars and I've come to the conclusion that the signs that Jesus gives are actually the events that occur during the tribulation. In fact, the response that Jesus gives at the beginning of, of chapter 24 in Matthew in many ways align directly with what we see as the opening of the seals in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. For example, the first seal in the book of Revelation represents the Antichrist and Jesus warns in Matthew 24 of great deceptions. Uh, the second seal um, that is opened represents war and the violence that took place on the earth. And Jesus warns of, of wars. The third, state, the third seal represents the, the famines and the economic imbalances. And then the fourth seal represents the death and the killings and the destruction. And we see all of this laid out by Jesus in, in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus then spoke of, of persecutions and the desecration of the holy place, meaning from the temple, the need for the Jews to flee from Jerusalem. He talks about false messiahs, and he also speaks of signs in the sky, the cosmos. These events are revealed to us in the trumpet judgments and also the bowl judgments. So in order to get an idea of what happens next, what happens prior actually to the tribulation, we need to again look at these seven churches, get a clue from there. To get an indication of what immediately precedes the tribulation, we want to take a look at the, this outline again. 
especially the second and the third part of the outline. Jesus was, or John was told to write the things that are, and that again refers to the seven churches. Um, and the seven churches are actually located in present-day Turkey at the time what was called Asia Minor. You can, today you can get on an airplane and go to, to Europe and take a tour of these seven churches, the places that John wrote about. Um, over the past 2,000 years, the cities that are identified with these churches have, have suffered great decline. Uh, they've had earthquakes, and most of these churches or these cities are now in, in ruins. And they would little, have little or no traffic at all, no, no tourist traffic, if it wasn't for the tours of Christians coming to see these seven churches. Turkey, for example, all of these churches are in Turkey. Turkey is 90% is or more Muslim. Uh, however, in these areas there are still a few churches and a few Christians that are left. Now, of all of the seven churches and their corresponding villages, the church of Smyrna, which was the second church that was, was mentioned, uh, was located in a seaport. And because it was located in a seaport, it's now the most populated area. It's no longer called Smyrna. Smyrna it's called Irma. And there are over four million people, four million people living in Irma. And of the four million people, very few, if any, would, would realize that this was the ancient city of Smyrna that's written of by John. They probably have also no clue, since most of them are Muslim, that there's still a Christian community there of more than 500 and over a dozen small local Christian churches. Now, while these churches have fallen in Turkey, uh, these seven churches, there's very few Christians left. Many, many more churches have been started. They've been planted. Today, the gospel of Jesus Christ has literally gone to the uttermost parts of the earth, just as Jesus instructed in the Great Commission. While the early church was exclusively Jewish, within a few years, people like Stephen and Paul and Barnabas began to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. The first recorded Gentile conversion was that of Cornelius and his, and his family. By the time Paul and Barnabas were sent out from Antioch on their first missionary journey, a pattern was established that saw Paul preaching first to the Jews in the synagogues, but having much greater success with the Gentiles. Paul himself actually called himself the apostle sent to the Gentiles. Now the seven churches of Revelation in Asia Minor are all Gentile churches, and that's key. All of them are Gentile churches. And the church actually has grown more in the last 100 years than it did in the 1900 years prior to that. For example, the number of Christians just 100 years ago was around 600 million. Today there's 2.3, 2.4 billion people that name the name of Christ. They, they call themselves Christians. They identify themselves as Christians today. Today, the Church of Jesus Christ is predominantly, I mean 99.99% Gentile, uh, with some Jewish converts and a few Messianic Jewish congregations as well. So this has been the time of the, the seven churches, the time of the Gentiles. John, for example, wasn't told to, to write to the church in Damascus or Alexandria, or Jerusalem, all of them uh, very Jewish congregations, very large congregations. Instead, he was told to write to Ephesus, and Smyrna, and Pergamos, and Thyatira. 
and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea, these were all Greek-speaking Gentile churches. So why is that important? Well, from a, from a Jewish perspective and also a biblical perspective, remember there's, there's two types of people, just two. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. The Apostle Paul, who calls himself the Apostle to the Gentiles, writes this in the epistle to the, to the Romans. Paul says, I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, that, so that you will be wise in your own estimation, that there's a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Now, many Bible scholars have wondered exactly what this fullness of the Gentiles meant. Uh, many understand that the term the fullness of the Gentiles refers to this, to this present age, this age of the church, or sometimes you refer to it as the age of grace, uh, which is primarily and predominantly a, a Gentile time. Gentiles populate the church and they are the primary recipients of God's grace and mercy, uh, particularly in comparison to the people of Israel. Now this is a relatively simple concept to, to understand that just as Paul turned his attention to the Gentiles, where he found a great acceptance of the gospel, God, in addition, ha has told us that there's this time when God's attention, the momentum of the church, is on the Gentiles. However, this is only for a, a period of time. Paul and the prophets foresaw a time when God would again remember Israel. In this way, the fullness of the Gentiles is closely associated to the end of the age of the church. And the end of the age of the church, we see an event called the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation. Remember the verse that we just quoted of the Apostle Paul, and he says, all of Israel, all of Israel will be saved. And this being true, it means that during the tribulation period where the Jews remain, and occupy Israel and the Jews that are alive at the time, those Jews that remain until the end of the tribulation, all of them will have come to Jesus. All of them will be saved. The covenant that God makes with the people of Israel cannot be broken. The Gentiles have been grafted in, that's what the Bible says, and we become heirs, heirs of salvation. In this way, the promise made to Abraham was fulfilled and that through Abraham, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. However, God is not done with Israel. Don't let anybody tell you that, that God is not done with Israel, that somehow the church has replaced Israel. It's not true. This brings us back to what we identified as the next event. And that's the topic for today's message. What is the next event? Well, the next event is, the, is what we call the fullness of the Gentiles. The Bible speaks of a generation of believers that will not die, that will be transformed. This is what is known as the, the rapture of the church. While some theologians go as far as connecting the fullness of the Gentiles with the precise moment of the rapture, uh, this timing does not need to be that precise. Prophetically speaking, there's been a number of years that overlapped God's plan for the Jews and God's plan for the Gentiles. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, in the prophet, uh, the prophet Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, speaks of, of 70 weeks. 
which we understand clearly as 70 weeks of years or 490 years uh, that were assigned, sorry, this is Daniel 9, that were assigned to Israel. Uh, Daniel 9.26, for example, speaks of the Messiah and his death on the cross. It says, and after the 62 weeks, and remember there was a seven weeks prior to that, so first seven weeks and then 62 weeks, these are weeks of years, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So scholars look at this and it's an amazing prophecy of Daniel because we find that Jesus was crucified, according to most scholars, somewhere around 32 AD. Now Jerusalem we know wasn't destroyed until 70 AD, almost 40 year period between the time that Messiah had come and was cut off, meaning he was crucified, until the temple was actually destroyed. And during that time, during that time, what happened? Well, Pentecost, the birth of the church. Uh, after, the, after Peter comes out and, and preaches his first sermon, 3,000 people are saved and baptized. Within a few years, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas are sent on the first missionary journey. One of the greatest evangelical successes is when the Gentiles are, are grafted in, the Gentiles come into the church. Um, Again, Paul calls himself the, uh, the apostle to the Gentiles. So we see that God is more than able, more than able to maintain two covenants, two promises at the same time. The new covenant of grace, that's why we call the New Testament the new covenant, that gave us the age of the church and the age of the Gentiles overlaps the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and it provides this everlasting blessing, a promise of restoration of the land of Israel at the time of the fullness of the Gentiles. So these promises, again, overlap. We mentioned the term rapture briefly. Let me give you the scriptures that support it, and then we'll finish up by speaking of the purpose, the actual purpose of the rapture. In 1 uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, we see the rapture clearly spoken of. It says this, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Again, this is Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. This catching away, or the translation of the states as, it, as saints, as it's often uh, referred to, happens at least seven years before heaven opens and Jesus returns to earth, to the Mount of Olives. And with the armies of heaven, by the way, that's what it says in the book of Revelation, clothed in, in fine linen, white and clean. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, it refers to the dead in Christ. And that refers to every believer who died during the church age. And then they are resurrected. And we which are alive are caught up together with them. We're translated. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that this happens so quickly, it's like the twinkling of an eye. This event is, is simply known as the rapture. And some claim and they, they uh, exclaim that the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, it's not in the English Bible. Uh, it is in the Latin Bible. That was in use for over 1,500 years. It's the translation of the word caught up uh, that we see in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Um, 
And both in the Latin and the original, the original Greek, this word that's translated as rapture or raptural in Latin uh, means to snatch, to take something away uh, quickly or suddenly. So the word is in the Latin Bible, it's just not translated as rapture in the English Bible, but we know exactly this idea of, of rapture. The rapture precedes the tribulation and is associated with the, the fullness of the Gentiles. And I'll give you three unique reasons why the rapture happens before the tribulation. Number one, the church is removed from the earth prior to God's judgment being poured out. And a good way to think of the church going up is it's it, God's, the church goes up while the wrath of God comes down. You know, numerous times a promise is made in the Bible that the church will not be the recipient of the wrath of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, for example, says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This was also the promise that was made to the church in Philadelphia in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 10, where the Lord said, Since you have kept my commandment to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. Get that? The hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Reason number two, the church is removed in order for the restrainer uh, to be removed and permit Satan to be set loose. In the second Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is assuring the Thessalonians as well as others that, what we, that read this letter that they were not living in the day of the Lord, uh, the end times. This, they, were, they were very concerned. They were very concerned that they, somehow they had missed it, that the Lord had returned, and they were already living in what we know as the tribulation age. And this is a relatively uh, large passage out of chapter 2, but I want to read it for you because the context is key. Listen to what Paul writes beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to quickly be shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, um, or a letter seeming to be coming from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself every every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may reveal in his, last in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So we see very quickly that the purpose of the church being removed is to um, take the restrainer out of the way. The restrainer is the, the, the life of every single believer who has the Holy Spirit living in them. Uh, we're restraining evil. You might not even think you're doing it, but we're restraining collectively. The body of Christ is restraining the lawless one who's already at work but we restraining, and then when the restrainer is removed, the lawless one takes over. Number three, uh, the rapture fulfills the promise of Jesus that he would return for his bride. 
the church. In John 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus says this. He says, In my Father's house are, are many rooms or dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to where I am so that you may be with me also. Now, this is a beautiful picture of the historic weddings in Galilee. If you've done any research, if you've heard about the wedding, uh, not the wedding, the wedding process, because it's more than a ceremony. It usually takes more than a year. Um, this wedding process in, uh, in the ancient tradition of Galilee, it provided for an initial betrothal um, of the son uh, to his bride-to-be. Uh, followed by a, a long period of time when they would separate. The bridegroom would actually return to his, his father's home and he would begin to prepare a place, a home, for the, for the bride. And then at some time, a shot would go out and, the, and then nobody would know. Nobody would know when this would actually happen except the father. Uh, the, the bridegroom would return for his bride and bring the bride back to his father's home where he had prepared a place for her. And this is not only exactly what happens in the rapture, but then we also see in Revelation 19 the wedding supper of the Lamb, which follows that time um, where the bride and the bridegroom are, are together in heaven. So in conclusion, in answer to the question of, of what's next, the next event on the prophetic calendar is the defined as the, the fullness of the Gentiles. And what we've said is this fullness of the Gentiles is closely connected to what we know as the, the rapture of the church, the catching away of the saints. Soon thereafter, uh, the Antichrist will be revealed. God will attend to all of the promises that he has for Israel in the land of Israel and the nation of Israel. So, so I want to pray. And before I pray, we're talking about the Gentile church. This time of the church, the time of grace, where God's grace and His mercy is poured out on the nations that are not Israel. But the blessings that were originally given to the people of Israel are now being extended to the Gentiles. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I, I encourage you, listen to what the Bible has to say. Now is the time of salvation. Don't wait until tomorrow. We may not have a tomorrow. The rapture actually could happen at, at any moment. Uh, these, are, these are difficult times, but these are also the days of salvation. There's an opportunity for you to be able to make Jesus the Lord of your life and to be part of this, this church age, to be able to, to be in heaven uh, with your, your relatives and your friends and all of the people that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, do it before the time runs out, before the fullness of the Gentiles is complete. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. You've been uh, for listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.